Listen up, Gotham. This is Batman. Tune into the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. And if you don't, I'll be coming for you. Hey, everybody, it's the Dark Knight of Rap, Sammy Warmhands, and this is the Bat Fanatic podcast. As always, I'm joined by my friends Ben and Evan. We're going to go all in on a Frank Miller classic. First, I got to shout out our longtime sponsor since day one, Radar Toys, right here in Eugene. You can go to radartoys.com and get free shipping in the US, save 10% using the code BATFANPOD, and you can get curbside pickup right here in town. Just call them, let them know that you're out there ready to pick up your stuff. They'll bring it out to your car. I just did it to pick up my Joker 80th anniversary issue. Now we're going to dive into one of the all-time greats, Frank Miller, David Masticelli, Batman Year One. I just want to shout out my little sponsorship. This, this is my Otter Pop. <laughs> and I, I chose it because it was orange, but it says... Little Orphan Orange, so it's just for Bruce Wayne. Oh, wow. That's kind of fucked up. What are they trying up. to do there? Disgusting. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't want to be, like, sad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Popsicle. What the fuck's happening? Appreciate what you have. Yeah, they better not wait, be wait, wait. buying this for kids at the orphanage. They'd be like, oh, <laughs> everyone want popsicles? Like, fuck yeah. And they're like, oh, oh thanks. Oh, shit, biscuits. I forgot uh, wait, for wait, five wait, seconds, and now ones? I remember. I they're all orphan themed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all different uh, tragedies. The other one is called Blue. All have a blue Christmas. Uh, <laughs> now that I'm an orphan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't taste oranges oh now that God. my parents are dead. <laughs> all right. Batman Year One, 1986. Written by Frank Miller. Ev's already not listening. Illustrated by <laughs> David Masticelli. She's listening. He's just eating chips. Colored by looking. what? Colored by Richmond Lewis, who, upon reading the uh, afterword, I think in this is female with the name Richmond. That surprised me. And That's then, a true story. and then lettered by our friend Todd Klein. Our yeah. Also, also, it said that the stuff was hand painted after, after the, the fact. fact. Whoa, yeah. Jinx. Whoa! You got a no, kiss it, now. No, it wasn't a jinx because our reception of you is so bad that I won. Oh well, on our end, it synced up, so the recording okay. is in unison. Uh, well, now you have uh, to kiss. Yeah, you, you can't kiss talk. Already? You can't Stop talk to us. Say your name. Oh, you want to smooch? I want to see you smooch. <laughs> yeah, he was here, and you were smooching <laughs> with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was illustrated and then painted over that? Well, no, separate. Like, as the way scans are separate. I don't so, I think, so, like, well, I think there's a whole thing at the end of the book in, like, the bonus features, you know, because I speak DVD, um, <laughs> it, where, where you can see entire pages with the pencils and inks removed, where you're only seeing color layers. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it shows like the original newsprint version versus the like recolored ones when it was put out as a trade. Okay, yeah. I got you. Same thing if you were, say you're coloring something digitally, the inks would be one layer and then you would be working like multiple layers of color that exist behind the black mm -hmm. stuff. Um, unless 
say like Noel, and you have these snowflake effects, and the snowflake effects exist in front of the block because that's the point. They they're like the foreground, or they're um, like a fog or something like that. And then then that layer would be in front of the other layers. That's how I feel about. I don't know how this stuff existed originally, but these painted versions kind of look like weird washed out watercolors or something to me yeah which is super cool because you know the thing that we like about 89 or batman returns is these painted matte backgrounds yeah or you know you know what i love about sword in the stone and old disney movies is the painted backgrounds and so same thing with this i don't i don't know what the fuck this lady is doing i mean pre-digital i I don't even get that stuff anyways but those things exist as separate files yeah you have a a person's um digital files tangible files i I don't know was it like a cell where she had the like the the line work and then she did something on a separate physical layer yeah exactly it's only color Uh, it's only paint and just like sam's talking about in the back of the book it's just it's and it looks so like blobbish it's it looks sort of different like without the framework you don't really know what's going on um but you'd have pencils and inks and letters and those are all separate things you have like word bubbles without a border you have panels without a border you don't know what that stuff is so this person like painted another layer to exist behind the original inks as like an after color thing yeah, it looks great, and it's both faithful to the original, you know, because it's not like when Brian Bolland was like, fucking, they did a shit job because of the available technology. I'm going to do this myself. You know, it wasn't one of those. It's like the same same vision, just updating it. Is it more, like, vivid or bright, or what's the difference between this? It's, it's definitely brighter. Yeah, I mean, most time it's very similar color choices. They're just not limited by the amount of colors in the print. Like if I take this, they use this newsprint example of a shot where Gordon is outside Flass's poker game and he's tailing him. If you look in the back, there's that page of uh, Gordon looking over his steering wheel. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so if you... Smell the pages. Then go back Go back to page 17. Oh, they smell really good. And then, exactly. So then look at page 17 in the book. And so there's, there, you're still getting a lot of these cool tones, the purples and blues. It's just uh, you're getting a lot more to like bring out the highlights in his face and his glasses and the headlights on the cars and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I really like that stuff. I mean, I'm a fan of, you know, like if an album that's, you know, a classic, but is kind of dated production wise like if that album gets you know remastered and restored you know generally speaking i'm a fan of those type of things and and hearing it in a new way and i I feel Uh like a lot of these comic arcs that they collected and and put out with some touch-ups i feel like are almost always an improvement to me it makes me wonder why the person chose to physically paint this stuff in this case if it's been recolored since digital stuff was an option, did they think that it would be truer to the source material, or they want to add like some sort of different element to it or well, something? Because it I says, can only imagine that actually painting something is far more meticulous than a digital. 
But it also says in the back, you know, when it just is like, you know, Frank Miller lives in New York City and blah, blah, blah. And they give the breakdown for everybody. Does he have his address? In the jacket. Yeah. Metropolis. Yeah. <laughs> he lives in Metropolis. <laughs> oh, Metropolis, Kansas. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Callbacks. Love it. Uh, but it says Richmond Lewis is an accomplished painter who had a brief career in comics. And so, you know, it's, it's not like this is her medium and you know her lifelong thing it's like no i am a painter this is why i was chosen for this <laughs> you know that's interesting well, the colors in this book blow me away well I mean, who co- who colored it originally then she did she just both, paint both times yeah for i mean the way that i read it was um here yeah, we go I, I miller and mazzicelli com- complemented each other perfectly with help of color richmond lewis uh colorist richard Richard Lewis, the comedian. He worked on this. Did you know that? Um, that was Denny O'Neill in 88. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, she was the original colorist. I think it's just like we talked about before, having limitations of what goes into those newsprint versions, you know, that hit the shelves. Well, this time when I was reading it, I have the book and I, was, I read the first issue in the book. And then I just went to DC Universe on my computer, which is hooked up to the TV. Dude, I almost so did that. But yeah, I, I, like, yeah. Like, you know, 20 inches or 30 inches tall. It looks so good. I mean, it's that kind of when you were making fun of us for liking the neon look and all that. Yeah. But this book is a really good example of that used well because it's some of those later scenes where like the sky is like a weird pink color. There's mm-hmm. just all these bright neons mixed in this super ugly world. I mean, this this book has such a good color palette. Are yeah. you talking about like the old town stuff where the oh, yeah. the strippers and or and the hookers and all that? Because I mean that's got a very much like Forty Second Street seventies New York vibe. But you know? also like when Batman storms the elites party. Yeah, um, yeah. The way the colors look there, and there's all there's like these little purple lines flying around people and stuff yeah. like that. Which like the line work already looks great. But having that added on top of it just elevates the whole thing. And yeah. I, like Todd Klein's letter work is exceptional in this. The, the difference in handwriting between Gordon's inner monologue versus Batman's inner monologue versus just the regular lettering of the text bubbles. It's like all-star done better. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, honestly, the yeah. only thing that I didn't love is the cursive because I... I really wanted to read this in the physical book um, uh, instead of just blazing through it on, on the app really quick just so I could really take it all in. And in that size, the cursive text was a little hard. It was a little too tight. But- yeah, yeah, it was a little small to decipher for my yeah. eyes. But yeah, man, it's, it's just being, beautiful. Being like a future person now, I was sitting like I tried to get up. I tried to get up laying. I was sitting in a chair with a real light over my left shoulder, like to try and make the ideal situation for reading a comic book. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with the book, and I'm like, "Oh, the inner light's kind of dark. I can't see, and this is small. And I'm getting my my grubby, oily fingers all yeah. over the pages." I'm trying to put it on the TV. Yeah. Backlit. It's gigantic. Yeah. You're like soundtrack Sam up in your stuff. Yeah, but with visual. <laughs> future. Yeah. Come on down to Soundtrack Sam's. <laughs> I'm future Ben. <laughs> I'm future Ben. <laughs> oh, that was great. So we set the stage with Gordon, and I think that it's really important. I mean, this is Batman year one, but it's so much a Gotham story, and it's 
almost more than Batman, it's a, a Gordon origin story. And it's super dope that they work them simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, you, you get little things like, you know, when they both have their first confrontations and they both lose hard, you know, like happen at the same time and shit like this. The parallels, I, I think it's, it's great. I mean, Gordon and Bruce arriving in the city really at the same time. Gordon as the new recruit transferred from Chicago and Bruce who's been away overseas for all this time. You know, we're seeing the city through both their eyes at the same time, but with the same freshness, just for different reasons, you know? I love the pace that's created, too, with graphic novels, because, or comics, um, because you don't have the ability to... pronounce manga. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love when I'm reading Japanese Batman comic books, (laughs) because you don't physically have the ability to read two things simultaneously. Like, whereas with movies, you could do like a split screen. So if you wanted to show, um, it's like Ocean's Eleven, and you want to show this heist. And so Sam is doing this at this time, and Ben is doing this thing simultaneously. You don't have the ability to show those things. Well, that's no different than like we talked about you liking the countdowns and stuff, and you would see like something happening on one part of the frame and then the clock ticking on the other part of the frame. I mean, that's kind of the same effect. I just... I just mean you can't, like, you couldn't very effectively show what Bruce and Gordon are doing at the exact same time. You have to pick one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, because you can't you can't go like panel, 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 back and forth. I mean, you can. Each one of my eyes can. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> my chameleon eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can see all things at all times. Well, cool. Well, never mind. I just have, I just have terrible fucking eyeballs. So like, so we talked about them each having their kind of initial stumble. I mean, we have Gordon pretty much right away. We're told that he refused a bribe and then gave a, quote, 20-minute lecture on ethics. And so this is Flass, uh, his new partner, telling Commissioner Loeb that he doesn't belong. He doesn't fit in. And so they surprise him in the car garage, the parking garage, and... Uh, and jump him. It's great, too, because they show how adept at fighting he is because you get people basically blindsiding him. They're talking to him. He's like, this isn't my first time. I know they're distracting me, and someone's coming from behind. So he spins around. I'm trained for this. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like So he spins around, starts taking people on several at a time. Very effective until he catches a bat to the head, which is going to take down anybody, right? And so this is a totally unprepared, unprovoked situation, and we see how ready he is. And then Batman, on the other hand, I mean, already kind of in the beginning, he's training. You got that like little scene where he's kicking the tree trunk or whatever the fuck it was. I don't know. Yeah, destroying that. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. yeah he's, cu- he's cutting down firewood. Take, take that, Pamela Isley. Sweatpants, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and he's like, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. And then when he goes I'm out... missing something. Yeah, yeah. And when Bigger he... When he does go out, it just doesn't... It doesn't work. It's like his... his I don't know, like his heart's ahead of his head or something. Is his first confrontation when he puts on the, uh, the fake disguise... Oh, well, yeah, I guess I'm getting a little ahead because I I was thinking of the parallels between um, 
Gordon's fight with uh, Flass and everybody, and then Batman stopping the the, fire uh, the yeah the the fire escape where they steal the television. Actually, reminds me of the Foot Clan in the 1990 Turtles movie. Um, Petty theft. Yeah. And the TV gets broken anyway. He doesn't even. He sucks. He's bad. Oh yeah, he bites it <laughs> big time. But I think that, that parallel still holds up with the other scene where he goes in. Like he fucks up almost every element of that scene. He shows up, and the, the pimp is like, "Oh yeah, the crazy vet routine. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's old. That doesn't work." Yeah. And then he, he takes that guy out, and then all of the sex workers just start stabbing him and fighting him. Oh man, the little kid stabs him, and he's like, the, the, "You just see the betrayal on his face. It's like, what the fuck? I came here to help you. <laughs> I messed up. Took like, too long. Oh, God, I you're out of your element, buddy. Get a knife." It's kind of like the Falcone conversation he has in Batman Begins. He's like, don't come down here puffing your chest. He's like, this is a world you don't understand. Yeah. And that's very much true because he like jumps in and he's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to help these girls. And they're like, fuck you. I'm earning right now. I'm on yeah. the clock. Uh, I have a job. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> you actually don't know what you're doing, man. Yeah. Hey, either pay me money and hit this or get out, dog. I mean, and he's, he's still smart. I like that he says about the disguise, like, make one single distracting and memorable feature, you know, so pe- people are like, oh, yeah, yeah the guy, yeah. he had a big scar, you know, whatever. It's like total misdirect. I love that. Well, yeah, that's what they'll be- focus on. Well, it comes, it, so it starts with a big scar on the face, and he's like, actually, I'll just dress like a bat. <laughs> that'll be my one right? distinguishing thing that people will not notice anything else well that escalated quickly I'm wearing a speedo on the outside of my pants <laughs> they'll be super focused on my dick <laughs> uh, that's funny nothing says unhinged like a man who wears I, a swimsuit on the outside of his pants so one of my favorite parts of this whole story and I, I alluded to it briefly on the last episode, but this big street fight is happening now. He's, he's in over his head, and the cops show up, right? Two cops get out. They draw on him, and he freezes. And then the driver cop shoots him anyway. And he's like, he didn't move. And he goes, he was going to. And like, just with, with everything that is going on right now in our national discourse i was like this is the most perfect fucking panel and i screenshotted it like i i even went to the app just to pull that panel out and screenshot it so i could share it It was just like man this is fucking 30 years ago dude yeah still so relevant oh god (laughs) that's the most wackadoodle reason to shoot a person that i've ever did they use that in any other i feel like they use that in other mediums the him breaking the handcuffs I don't know. Probably Batman's escaped from a lot of shit. But that's specific. Or maybe does he? He doesn't do that. Batman Begins or anything like that, does he? No. He takes a big fucking risk there. I mean, he chokes out the driver with the cuffs. I mean, it'd be pretty easy while that guy's flailing around in a crashing car to just get stuck in that position <laughs> while you are cuffed to this man's neck. Yeah. Yeah, he fucks up every part of that. Yeah. That's part of Batman's shtick because he's going to go fight street crime as well as like the bigger corruption. Yeah. But like, what was he going to accomplish? I mean, I think that was, to... that was a trial run. That was him, uh, him going like, well, I know where fucked up shit happens. Let's, let's go troll the deuce. Yeah. That seems like the most 
obvious starting place. Yeah. Like, um, bad shit happens in the hood. I'll just go walk around there with a scar on my face. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stir up trouble. Uh, man, how... S- Selena's, like, friend... I don't know what her name is. Holly. Holly. She, how is Tom she, King used her in stories later. Uh, how is she talking? The, she... Selena, I found is it, is it, him. Is it is it is that what it is? Is she like is she like up pitching or is she yeah. like a valley girl the whole time? I think it's all accented. It's like just like Selena, yeah. Selena, yeah, Selena. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, I like okay. that they I like that they put the emphasis there. I, I like that because it I, gives I'm her like personality. Thinking of the syllables, and I'm thinking of it's all capitals. So what you're choosing to embolden, I guess. Yeah. I was like, man, what are, what are you trying to tell me right now? How's this person talking? I tried to make a point when reading her lines to say them in my head like yeah. that. Yeah. Like I sometimes try to do that with accents, but I can't do accents, so it yeah. doesn't work. Well, I mean, just this yeah. this panel right here. So she's like, Selena, outside. You know, like you can kind of hear like the, the elevated heart rate kind of, you know, explosions. What, what parts are bold, though? So the middle syllable. So Selena, yeah. outside, explosions. You know, it's yeah. just got a very like childlike sort of exaggeration of bewilderment you know have you ever seen that movie it's the wizard with fred savage no uh when i was a kid okay so let's start this over and talk about that movie i need the wizard like the the ralph bashke wizard no no it's so fred savage his younger brother is like a autistic savant and they're going to the big nintendo tournament in las vegas or somewhere yeah atlantic city i don't know but the way that his younger brother talks is the way I imagine her talking. Like, no, well, no, the, David, no, uh, we gotta go. That's just too deep of a cut for us. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. Anyone who's out. seen that will know. Some dude yeah, at home. Some Anybody dude at home is like, yeah. Knows that we throw out some thought-provoking. Yeah. <laughs> you need, go watch need, the wizard. Yeah, it requires investigation. Fred Savage, Jenny Lewis, other people, Christian Slater. It's not just the Wiz, is it? No, no, it's the wizard. Okay. And to be fair, it might not be called that. <laughs> it could be called something else. <laughs> you sure? Sure, it's not the Wiz. Huh. Jeff Bridges' brother. There's a bunch of people in that movie. <laughs> Just look up that dude's IMDb. Because <laughs> I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. I like, again, the parallels. We see Bruce, he's bleeding out. He puts the hand on the key in the ignition. And that's when they cut to Gordon and Flass in the fight in the parking garage, right? Oh, no, this is after the fight. This is when he's driving to uh, get his revenge on Flass. And so Gordon is driving to Flass to the poker game. And this crazy car is driving in the wrong lane. And it's fucking bloody-ass Bruce, you know, swerving his car. It's, it's interesting because the reason I was five minutes late today is because... Were you drunk driving? Yeah. No, I got up. I got out of bed at... Five minutes late. I got out of bed at 1 o'clock, and I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot I wanted to get up a little bit early and watch the animated one just because, like, I loved reading it so much. I just want to watch it, you know? And so I watched that this morning. And in this scene, they leave out, like, that awesome part where he's like, is that Bruce Wayne? Like, fucking rich people in their cocaine or whatever, you know? Like, rich people do. I saw it on TV, you know? And, like... That whole thing was just cut from the movie. I'm like, what? That was an awesome little, like, breadcrumb. How Batman Returns starts with the uh, old man driving fast in his super race car. What? 
Oh, <laughs> oh, Dark Knight Returns. Got it. Uh, oh yeah. They have similar titles, so you yeah, threw me that off. Yeah, guy does things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you oh. think though? So in the Dark Knight, in the original, um, the Dark Knight Returns, there's a bystander line, like a talking head, where the guy goes, "Yeah, Batman's taking out all the right people," and then in the original comic he goes. I hope he goes after the homos next. Oh, and they, shit. And then they, they change it in the movie show. I hope he goes after my landlord next. Oh, yeah, and yeah. It was one of those things like where they didn't want a cocaine reference or they cut it just because they didn't have time. Probably, although in the Catwoman featurette that comes with that DVD, I'm pretty sure there's drugs in that. Mm-hmm. So I don't uh, know. But it's a featurette. Maybe it's allowed because you yeah. may not watch it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Bonus yeah, features. Watch like, at your own risk. I like how much they play up the Bruce Wayne side of it. The character of Bruce Wayne is like yeah. drunk, a womanizer, just shallow. And Cokehead? Cons- yeah, yeah. I think it's cool to think that we've read or looked up multiple things that are all telling like a similar timeline like phantasm talks about his return to gotham and his like inception like this is my beginning of batman story and to think that they are one in the same sort of you know the same phantasm bruce wayne was also the one strolling the red light district um yeah. you know beating up pimps or something it's a, like it's interesting they were like that same dude was doing all these same things yeah i would say as someone who like that was my complaint about batman begins to jump far ahead <laughs> that we all know how batman started so we don't keep needing origin stories but when they do it well and have an interesting take on it i don't mind seeing the same story again well yeah because i don't need to know where this dude comes from like i know his child is sad and i know about his family but all the time in between like all that filler time Uh i think that's pretty interesting i like all the behind the scenes stuff like as boring as a uh a scene of developing something in the lab or like his sciencey shit or those kind of like filler things could be i think it's cool to think about what like what does this guy's daily life look like uh especially in the beginning of stuff because this is a dude who's striking out and doing some really weird stuff right off i mean he's doing some weird stuff when he is batman but at first i mean you know he's got some not legit hardware and he's he has to look pretty amateurish and i mean he's really figuring out all this stuff on his own and he doesn't know to, how to handle all this stuff. And it's cool that if you consider that all these universes might coexist simultaneously, sort of, then how do I kind of weave them together? Mm. Well, I think definitely, like, this works with kind of the Phantasm one. Earth one seems like a different thing. Like, just it's very much its own. Yeah, they reinvent some one. shit. I just said they reinvent some shit. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. good. I heard uh, that, that it. <laughs> I, 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 it's like District 9. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sam is smart, and he, <laughs> he gets mad if I say smart stuff. So <laughs> Did I interrupt you when you were in the middle of the point? We always do. That's the show. Okay. okay. That's what we're about. I love Gordon, the fact that you don't know much about his, particularly his military history. 
Yeah. So he, yeah. when he has the comments on watching Flash, both his ability to analyze him and see how he fights, and uh, he uses his size to his advantage. But the idea that he's like, oh, it's been a while since I've had to take out a Green Beret. Well, here's a bat for you to even things off. It's like, what did he do in the military? Yeah. That taking on Green Berets was like part of it, and he could do that without much hassle. Yeah. I mean, that, that scene is fucking great. I mean, the other thing is, though, kind of like we talked about nuking Superman or, or, or Nightfall, you know, leading up to Bane, you have a drunk Flass. Because Gordon's beat up, you yeah, know, seriously, like really badly, and so he knows yeah. this. He goes after Flass, drunk in the middle of the night, runs him off the road and crashes his car. So they're both on pretty even footing, being <laughs> fairly <laughs> fucked up at this point. Um, and so I, I think that's worth taking into account because otherwise you're like, well, this guy just got the shit kicked out of him, and now he's like. Fast forwarding to the end of the movie, and I'm now I'm I'm just gonna beat you now, you know. But it's like, no, nah, I I hurt you real bad too. So now we're in the same state of pain. Let's do this. I also love the thought that somebody could be so smart that whilst getting their ass whooped, they could be like, "That's Flash's giggle," you know, yeah. and, <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 like know what was going on other than just getting your butt kicked. You yeah, know? to compartmentalize their brain. But yeah, I, you know, to I think that he's been seeing this coming the whole time, going like, "Oh man, it's oh, only gonna be yeah, a matter of time like, before these fuckers turn on me," you know. For sure. So. And then his whole thing with Flash is like, uh, "I'm gonna get that guy to crash his car and then take his clothes off." Yeah, he leaves him with his dick in the snow. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Like, I don't want to kill this guy. He just needs to be naked. Just embarrass him. I love yeah. that he's like, "Yeah, he'll never tell anybody, but he'll know." Not to fuck with me, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was me. There are the elements of Gordon throughout this talking about how, like, Batman can do stuff that he can't, that no one else can. But I like even from the beginning where you have the the two mirrors of their entrances to Gotham. Yeah. And where Gordon's talking about, like, I made Barbara take the plane, but I took the train because that's the only way you can really see the city and how terrible it is. Mm -hmm. And Bruce in the plane going like, oh, I should have taken the train. Yeah, This is dumb of me. I'm missing the perspective of it. So even though Gordon's not Batman, he is better than him, at least early on in some important aspects. Or it's trying to paint them as like two versions of the same thing. Yeah, see, that's what I'm seeing is that Bruce is still coming at it as the wealthy sort of out-of-touch person, whereas as much as Bruce gets to be removed from it, Gordon can never escape it because yeah. he's on a detective salary and he is just going to, or a lieutenant salary and is just going to be in that city all the time. There's no, yeah. oh, I'm going to go home now where it's safe, you know, Take off secret palisades. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Gordon is like ground up and Bruce is like top down. Uh, yeah, like he's looking down on the city. For sure. We have this now iconic scene and i think this is a big part of the trifecta you know the the trauma being huge in this we don't necessarily replay the whole night of his parents murder or or his aftermath in the funeral or whatever but i mean we get it through snippets of his flashbacks you know he's bleeding out because he refuses to go to a hospital and then he goes home and then he's just sitting there talking to this 
like statue or whatever, this photo of his dead dad. And uh, super normal. And all that shit's going through his head. His life's flashing before his eyes. You know, he decides as he sees the bat fly in, like, oh fuck. Okay, I have an idea. I have a reason to live. I can I can try this. Let me ring the bell. And he reaches for that bell, and it's just mm, so good. I will never get tired of Bruce Wayne in the dark study with the light shining through and him deciding to become Batman. However many times I see it, I just really, really like that shot. Oh, man. I forgot to say something in the last one, that they have that kind of moment again. He's old Bruce, and he's having that bat moment in the study again. And he goes out, and he, like, stumbles into the statue and like knocks a whole statue over and like man this guy is so thick that he can push like a, like a, just a fucking marble statue over that's how that's how huge this guy is by mistake just, yeah he just he farts he farted on that statue well and that's like Popping. that's after 30 years of human growth hormone it's uh, yeah. like natural at that point he's like, yeah okay Work. Batman HGH. Yeah. <laughs> I want to play that he's, video he's game. He's rich enough. He's rich enough. Yeah. He could do it right. That's what you're saying. I agree. <laughs> he, he should probably just invest in cloning technology and make more bruises. He's That's like in some Batman comics. <laughs> yeah, he's got like, Mike. He's got yeah. Michael Jackson's doctor giving him fentanyl, you know, <laughs> for his for <laughs> his injuries. Away, please. <laughs> what else we got? We got this um, awesome scene where. Uh, Gordon hears on the radio that Brandon is leading the SWAT team in to a, uh, a kidnapping. This actually reminded me of uh, a scene from Nightfall. I think it's Victor Zaz, where uh, he's got a bunch of uh, people held hostage at, at Knife Point. It might have even been at a library, but it's in like a looking out a second story window down onto the uh, cops and news people outside. Kind of reminded me of that, but we get Gordon like hop the curb and fucking race to get there and cut them off just in time. Like, no, you're not going to go in and shoot a bunch of children, you fuck. You know, puts his gun down. It just makes me, it reminds me of how crucial Gordon is to the Batman mythos and, and the morality of it and them both working to fight crime, but also Gordon working to fight from the inside mm-hmm. to try to change this shit, you know? But I think that directly stems from this book. Yeah. Because I think Gotham before this, I mean, because this is like part of Frank Miller's job with this was to bring Batman, kind of like with Dark Knight Returns, but in a different way, to revitalize him and revamp him for a modern world. Yeah. And so I think that the whole idea of, like Falcone and that stuff existed in older Batman, but the idea that the city itself was just corrupt and like the politicians were corrupt and the police were corrupt. I think that's a lot of that comes from this book. Cause it seems like before Gordon was just like the police commissioner who yeah. helped Batman, but he wasn't like, like he is in this, like you're talking about someone trying to fix it from the inside. Cause it's, it's not just muggers who are the problem. It's the whole city is the problem. Yeah, and it, it gives such depth to the city as a character. It shows you the extent of how deep it goes. It's not just, oh, there's some uh, theatrical villains that need to be shut down. You know, it's like, no, this is on every level corrupt. And yeah. how are you 
going to face that. Are you undaunted? They're going to literally beat you down and you're going to stand up and beat them right back? Or are you going to turn a blind eye when you see your, your fellow cops, you know, busting heads and shit like that? You know, it's like, you had a knife. I'm like, it's a comb, you asshole. Yeah. Like, oh, you can't be right all the time. Yeah. I love it. It's so courageous and just, in many ways, he's the true hero of this story. Well, and Gordon could be like the best cop that ever was a cop if you put him in any normal place. But he happens to have found himself like in Gotham where there exists supervillains, not necessarily superhumans, but these bad guys who are like larger than life and therefore also need a hero who is slightly larger than life too. Yeah. Like Gordon could only ever do so much. I mean, like he could be the best against these mobsters or something. And maybe the city that supported him also. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like if, if the roots of it weren't so rotten in the first place, like he could be exactly the reform that a place like that needed but still, that would only go so far against your standard mobster characters. When you look at the, the two two sides of that, too, because, you know, we brought up Earth One. Look at Bullock, how he was in that story, because he was the altruistic cop from L.A. who then uh-huh. comes out to Gotham and has this total different outlook on things and how he's going to clean it up. And after he sees Birthday Boy, he is broken. And we see in this version that, again, Gordon is not. He's troubled by it, maybe a little disheartened, but it doesn't stop him. And we see in his rise through the ranks that it's obviously with the help of Batman, you know, because uh, we're talking about turning witnesses and, and things like that. But taking out Flash, then takes out Loeb, and we see the channels are now opening up for him to rise and actually have influence. You know, maybe it's a little bit naive that that could actually be really how that that plays out, but they show you... much more complicated. Yes, but they show you a a gradual path where it is possible, you know, and it it is kind of inspiring. Well, in a... a in a case where, uh, like, there's there's no doubt in my mind that stuff gets twisted all the time anyways in normal life. Like, lawyers will find a way to do stuff, and the law will find a way to do stuff. So, Batman doesn't need warrants. He'll do what he wants. Yeah. And so, Batman could access materials and information that Gordon could never get to. But then Gordon could, once he has the info, try to find a way to like, no, 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 I came about this in totally normal ways or something. Yeah, They have to work, work together. That's one thing that's kind of cool about Batman is like, I have to think that Batman just loves his city. You know, he's as concerned about supervillains as he is about um, armed, ro- yeah, armed robbery at 7-Eleven. But he's only one dude. And so he, he needs the police force because they have numbers. And he's not going to capture Commissioner Loeb and keep him in the back cave. Yeah. And Gordon needs Batman because Batman does what Gordon and the police force can't do. And again, and they know that if you take down these crooked cops, 
on a public stage and you don't yeah, yeah. just do some shit. Like he knows kind of when to step out and do some shit that's outside the law. And, yeah. you know, okay, I needed to show this guy Skeevers or whatever that, uh, Skeeters. you know, he needed to be afraid of something other than flas, right? You know, oh, sure. he needed to do that in order to create the shift in public opinion that would be done by these people being legitimately taken down in court on the news that people are going to see, you know, as opposed, as opposed to doing everything with your fists, you know, I think it, it, it's a smart move. It's a chess move. Yeah. I mean, what is it, what does it take to, to shake the confidence of a dude who like owns industry and has people in their pocket? People killed with no consequence. Yeah. That's why you need Batman because like he'll, he'll fucking get you, you know, like, you're you're you have all that shit you have all you have the money for all that shit but batman still has you well and especially this early batman because people even though this character is firmly in the i don't kill people camp mm. nobody else knows that for sure yeah he's a guy who dresses up like dracula still <laughs> yeah. yeah still and- has his swim trunks on the outside <laughs> still i still just think it's it's great in the way it explores their relationship and how much they need each other to be effective, you know, because there's so many, think like Dirty Harry or something. Those are great stories, but it's also very much just one man outside the law, you know, and as much as we talked about that family stories and, you know, the mixed bag that comes with bringing more people into this, you know, it's always been integral to the story, the the relationship of Batman and Gordon, both trying to do the right thing in and outside of the law, but in a symbiotic way. And it's interesting to think about what these stories would look like if the other person had never been included. Yeah. Like, how much would Gordon have struggled if Batman had never been a part of it? Yeah, does he else? turn into Bullock? If, yeah, for sure. And what I think is also cool, too, and in, in which shows... Just their character and intellect. Another one of those like simultaneously occurring things is, and especially in this too, you know, where like Gordon's holding his revolver in bed with his pregnant wife yeah. and stuff, and he's and he's like somehow it seems immoral, but it's exactly what needs to exist to like get the job done. You're talking about like having the gun and shooting people. No, he talks about like the weight of his gun, and he's talking about Batman being a necessity and stuff in uh-huh. in Gotham and their partnership, and um, it, and it's cool to see him like come to the same conclusions at the same time. They're they're like both yeah. coming in Gotham at the same time and both starting in the same stuff in totally different directions, and both seeing the need for each other again from totally different perspectives, like. How how could Gordon not be conflicted? This other dude acts just totally uh, aside from the law, and he needs to enforce it. And yet, I super need this guy at the same time. Yeah, because on this side of the law, everything's just as fucked up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like I can't do what this dude does. There's there's too much tape along the way. Like I I need this dude, and 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 it's cool too because these are all uh, this. That's all inner monologue. This isn't a dialogue between he and Batman, it predates conversations between the two of them, you know? So you're like seeing Gordon's thoughts, like 
holy shit, like this is weird. It's super weird that I got a job here and this guy exists. And you know, we gotta stop him, but I mean, he saves cats. Yeah, he need... saves people. And he, yeah. he's like he saved but that I old lady. He saved the man. cat. I think Ben, what you were thinking of was there's another scene where he's at the shooting range, and he's like, "I hate the, the job. Yeah. I hate the gun." He's like describing like bullet going into the guy's chest and like yes even though his heart's exploded he still feels the loss of feeling in his legs and then the next shot goes in his brain and you but you know what i love about that scene though is that by the time you get to the end of the page though he talks about the kick three times and on the third time he's talking about his child's kick in Mm -hmm. in his life and he's happy about it yeah that's great writing to me too like what an interesting segue he's talking about the kick of the gun and the kick of the gun again and like the weight of what this means and the consequence and yeah. stuff and then by the time you get to the very bottom it's like his unborn child's kick in his wife's belly it's crazy just as an aside that character grows up to be a sociopathic serial <laughs> yeah we're, I don't remember a Gordon uh, man Gordon baby at all so. it's like newer it's in the yeah. like, 2000s early 2010s or something who is it Jim Jr. Yeah, it's James Jr., yeah. Anyway. (laughs) That's an uplifting side note. (laughs) That's good. good. I can't wait. I can't wait. It took them 20 years to ruin that character, so don't worry about it. Yeah. I I don't remember a boy baby at all. Doesn't matter. None of this matters. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarah Essen rejoins the force, and Flass recounts his run in with the Batman because he's all fucked up. We have this great three-panel police sketch on the back of, like, different accounts. <laughs> the bats. Yeah, and one of them is bat. just Man-Bat. Yeah. yeah, man, yeah, yeah. I love that. We uh, have this sort of flashback as Flash is telling the story, what happens. And they don't name him yet, but you actually see... Flass is taking the money from this guy, Skeevers, that becomes so critical later. I didn't even catch it when I was reading it because they don't pay him any attention. He's barely there. But I just read it. And then as I'm watching the film today, I was like, wait, that's the same fucking dude. I pulled up the book. Yeah, it is the same fucking dude. It's another little breadcrumb leading you down the path, you know? Yeah, and then we got this set up to the SWAT team showdown where Essen is actually saying to Gordon like I don't know Bruce Wayne he would have the resources to do this kind of shit and then it's like what the fuck is that oh someone's asleep at the wheel you know so we get hero cop moment we get Batman swoop in save the pedestrian but then Essen gets the drop on him and that's when shit goes crazy and they fucking straight up just bomb the building he was like Running well, and going back to that car crash part too. That's just another little beat of Gordon. Gordon doing more than almost anyone else would or could do. Yeah, yeah. having it not be enough. He jumps out the Batman. driver's side. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But Batman coming in and still saving him, doing just that little bit more yes. that only he can do. Yes, and that's all in a handful of panels. I mean, that that happens so fast before it's over, and all of a sudden they're face to face, going. Oh shit! Technically, I guess we're not allies, though, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Early on, 
when they're having the whole Gordon Flass, <laughs> they're doing a car ride around the city, just seeing the sights. Yeah, they get gotta, the crimes they're not going to solve. Yeah, yeah but they got to <laughs> randomly like pull over and check some shit. Like there's and a rich they, guy on cocaine driving a car. Yeah, yeah. It's not our jurisdiction. In Flass's case, he's like, hey, there's a guy I got to throw into a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know what their deal is, but uh, Flass just picks up one dude, which is impressive by itself, obviously. He turns him upside down and throws him into a dumpster, but not inside a dumpster, nor outside the dumpster. Like right <laughs> into the edge of a dumpster with his back, like like some crippling, back-breaking dumpster maneuver. And then, um, but Gordon you know. memorizes that move. He's yeah. like, How if, if Flash tries to toss me into a dumpster upside down, I I'll have the counter already. I'll ready. strip him to his boxers, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave, leave him, him in the dig, snow. I'll leave him dick down in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> dick down in the snow, the James yeah, Gordon dick. story. Yeah, yeah, giggling, giggling, colon, dick down in the snow. But yeah, that I want to call it the warehouse, but whatever it is, that abandoned, abandoned building. Apartment. Yeah, man, <laughs> yeah. that that sequence is uh, is is just beautiful. They're bombing the building he's in, so he's retreating as low as possible, and hits this fucking metal cellar door or whatever. We assume that he then went down there for cover, but he's going. Anyone who sees this is going to think the same thing. And so, like, this is when you get just, like, really smart Batman shit of, like, him leading these guys through this little maze that he's, again, he's had no time to prep this shit. It's not some Riddler shit. You know, it's just him having to be resourceful and think on his feet, sending him down there, taking out the two guys who were left up to guard, to be on watch, and then gassing him right down there underneath like no i've got you right where i want you i'm like fuck this shit is so good it's just fucking thrilling yeah the uh like thinning out the guys the you can picture it as a scene in a movie especially anything with like comms you know where yeah guys like hey guy oh nope nothing he's been crushed by a beam. the batman got him yeah <laughs> like any of that stuff you know where they're trying to reach some guy in another area something like that stuff is, or you know, one of those scenes where it's like, "Hey, we're currently in the," you know, where they like got cut off because Batman got them already or something. And it's uh, that sort of horror movie shit too, as like you know, it starts oh. out and we're six friends going to the beach, you know, and then yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, now we're four, now we're two. Yeah, it's like, wait, where's Frank? You know, fucking whatever. Yeah, he's just he's picking them off, which um, obviously makes sense. And I love that you know Gordon was sidelined going into it. And so you, when you get this final head-to-head, you know, with Brandon leading the SWAT team, Batman throws him through a fucking wall outside. Uh-huh. Or, or, or no, it might be right before that. And he's like... He threw the guy who was trying to shoot the cat. He threw that guy through the wall. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, uh, yeah, don't shoot the kids. And, but yeah, like, so right around this time, he's like... Um, and, and again, Batman's been leading him through this shit, doing exactly what he wants them to do. You know, they're shooting the foundation of this place. Again, yeah, yeah. chess move shit. And then the radio goes off outside, and the guy's like, Gordon, I think uh, Brandon needs help. And he's like, sorry, orders are orders. <laughs> like, <laughs> wish I could help. You know, and I think this is when we start to see him digesting 
the information of what just happened with the accident and and you know the other glimpses he's seen of Batman of like you know maybe this guy's not all bad we we now have a common enemy here yeah because clearly this dude has a rep for just like shooting shit up yeah like he's not concerned with collateral damage or anything as, as long as he nails whatever the target is or something he doesn't care so sending that dude in is like a death wish for this entire apartment complex. I mean like, he even says commissioner expects a corpse yeah that's it I just want to shoot this fool yep Okay. Yeah, because we didn't talk about so what leads up to this right before it, and it's one of the most iconic scenes in the book, is Batman storming the party with, um, with Carmine Falcone and Commissioner Love. Oh, and the mayor yeah, and yeah, the mayor. true, true. When they're talking about like, yeah. they're like, "Hey, Batman seems like trouble," and Love's like, "No, he's great. He's just taking out the low-level criminals, which makes people feel safer, so we can you know take advantage of them more. It's fine. Yeah, no, this is a big deal." I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's great. And then Batman storming that party. It's like, no, slowly, none of you yeah. are safe. Yeah, his little speech of like, the, you feasted on the wealth of the city for too long. I'm coming for your next. And as he's, he's slowly putting out like the flambe or whatever they had. Yeah. Make the scene dark. Yeah. Beautiful. There's a Grim Knight, which is like a Batman from another universe who now fights Batman in this one. But they... Uh, they show some of his like iconic scenes twisted to that. And the Grim Knight, when he shows up to that scene... Just shoots everyone. Oh shit! It's the exact same wow. scene, but he just shoots everyone there. <laughs> that one's cool because uh, it really is a, a version of like like everything in Gotham needs to be addressed. You know, like the richest people, the highest levels corru- of corruption, all the way down to the street levels. Yeah. And additionally, these like kind of super human, super criminals, or something like that, and. So what I like the most about that one is how long it doesn't last. Like, it's a couple pages of these elitists talking amongst themselves or something, but it's not hard to picture as a movie scene. Like, you can even picture, like, it gets dark as he, like, quiets the flame. And, like, even his voice gets quiet as he quiets the flame or something like that. Like, that is some super Batman shit to me, not even existing in the shadows as some darkness stuff, but like his voice quiets. He retreats. He becomes, he is the shadows. Yeah. He's a phantom. Like he's just this lingering, unforgettable, horrific. He's he's not going. You feasted on the city. No. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's like, it's the, it's the difference between like, like an unforgettable, un, shakable horrific nightmare yeah like this lingering thing that you can't get away from this lurking feeling or something and that's i mean batman could obviously be both but that's how this scene in particular leaves me feeling like those people are rich but they're soft and they're like shook by the end of that i mean he straight up blows up their banquet leaves them with a short curt straightforward message and it's also the strength of the writing that before that we see him like sneaking across the lawn like taking out the chauffeurs in their cars like so it's not like we're dropped into the way the people at the party are perceiving it we saw him do like human guy stuff like sneak across the grass and it's still effective despite that well no and I, I, I think that makes it more potent anyways 
like 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 every step of the way you know this like uh disables the cameras whatever i mean whatever it takes to get there and stuff mm. seeing every part of it makes it even more dope not just seeing yeah because we're still seeing the- them blindsided by it we're still getting yeah. that you know tasty scene but we're mm. also getting the appetizers of okay this dude's actually figuring shit out like he knows what how to play this now you know you can't just walk up to the house and blow it up yeah no no it's not made less cool by only seeing those rich people's perspective it's made it more cool by seeing batman's perspective the whole time yeah before we move past this midpoint in the book there's this batman character once we get yeah, past this yeah before we uh move on to fucking starfire cowboy bebop or whatever you guys watch <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hijack your podcast sometime, Sam. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. All right, I'm out. (laughs) Before we completely uh, move on, though, I wanted to mention the other iconic shot is the ultrasonic bat boot that he uses. I still think that shit is so cool looking. And for it being miles away, that maybe isn't the most believable thing. But still, I, I love the idea of it. And I... I like that he also uses it as cover. He keeps it on him, you know, as he's escaping on the motorcycle. Um, uh-huh. Camouflages his escape. I think that all that shit's great. Because, I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to tail you. They're going to cover you by air. It's pretty foolproof. Yeah. I think it's cool. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't want to be the kind of person who's like, this is fiction. And yet, I decide what's super That's fictional. Travel. Three miles hour tops. By my calculation, it's just been a seven minute scene, not a five. Minute. No, I just meant them like being able to hear it. No, I I want to think that it's if Batman and Superman exist in the same universe, then I can pretty much be cool with whatever people tell me. I, <laughs> you know, uh, like it's it's. I mean, it's all this. It's it's all the. It's all similar. Whatever. It's all cool. It's all good. I, mean, I love that. The line in the midst of that. I think it's Gordon. It's Gordon's internal monologue where he's talking about like, and then the crowd started cheering as Batman was taking up the SWAT team. And then turned to screams. Yeah, it's, it's like you know he scares mm. them too with the giant wall of bats. Yeah, who wouldn't? The sun. Like some fucking uh, locusts in the apocalypse shit, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm not that kind of hero. <laughs> no. I like too the way that the colorist painted the bats in the background are like a gray color, and scale is good, obviously, but the it would you couldn't paint that many bats just straight black without yeah. it being like a black blob at the top of the and they're also panel. they're also coming from the sunrise and so there would be more light on that end of it as well yeah you have to you have to create some sort of sense of depth anyways mm-hmm. so you have your the blackest star like in the forefront and I don't know what it looked like in the original or anything, but it's cool how crowded it looks, you know, like yeah. the background is yellow cause it's a sunset, but then you have all these like bat ish gray shapes behind the black shapes. Cool. So then we got Gordon's affair. This stuff's important because he is again, sort of our moral center. And so to see that he is still flawed and struggling to do the right thing, humanizes him yes being selfish yeah exactly is that, is that frank miller being frank miller or is that gordon being a human 
both because I mean that's the strength and style of Frank Miller is that kind of noir where nothing is perfect and nobody's perfect and yeah the world is dirty and bleak and ladies are made for sex yeah unless they're lesbians and, then, ugh. <laughs> and they're still and they're still made for sex with girls <laughs> yeah well you know that movie L.A. Confidential yeah I love that movie no it's a fantastic like Hollywood noir story. Is it a cartoon? No, no, you haven't seen it. Um, yeah, correct. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the like one of the main kind of the main cop in it is in this very corrupt police force, and he winds up in an affair with Kim Basinger's character. You know, and it's sort of the same thing in that there's all this pressure from every angle of his existence, you know, and some escape. Exactly. And so he, he sees that opportunity and she takes him out of his head for a minute. Well, she's also, she has a perspective that Gordon's wife could never have. It's and true. She works on the force with him, you know, so they share a bond that he and his wife could never have. Yeah, and then there's that awful uh, in the diner, you know, when he's trying to sort of break it off with her, and yeah. she's like, if your wife wasn't pregnant, would we be having this conversation, you know, and he just looks, sure. he just doesn't say shit, and she's like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't I shouldn't go there, you know. Well, and back to Dark Knight Returns, the movie, I think that was the difference from the book, is that in the movie, he and Sarah Essen are married. Yeah. Which is like that. That's the end of the year one story. Yeah. Two of them did get together eventually. Yeah, which is great because he's kind of reverse engineering this, mm. you know, since this came slightly afterward. You know, I like Essen plays a part later in um, what's the fucking one with the earthquake? No Man's Land. Teen Titans Go. No, <laughs> one of my f- favorite, most impactful, like Gordon. <laughs> Gordon moments was uh, involving her in No Man's Land as well. So, yeah, I mean, this is uh, definitely planted some some seeds with this. I love the line because it's just very, like, noir-y, and I love it where he's talking about, like, he said she tried six different careers before she ended up in law enforcement because they said she was too masculine for yep. all the other ones. I don't know in what world she's masculine, but just like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's thinking about it. Must be he's into it. deaf, yeah. dumb, and dead. Yeah, to think she's masculine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen Untouchables? Yeah, I almost no. mentioned that when we were talking about the you feasted on Gotham's wealth, you know, scene of uh, just like, man. you know, That's just a picture a bunch of motherfuckers sitting around a big opulent table like that. I always like to think of Gotham as like, well, I don't know, corporate stuff. Go. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but you uh, have the stuff is always super stupid to me. But I like to always think of Gotham as like the future version of what the mob would look like. And that's kind of how you know the Untouchables is like the inception of that stuff. But yeah, if everything was still pinstripe suits and swanky and and somehow classy and also corrupt or something like that. Who was the cop in that story? Um... Elliot Ness. Yeah, but but Elliot Ness is the actual guy. Costner in that movie. Yeah, I think it's Costner. Yeah, yeah, Costner is like the rookie cop. Yeah. God, that movie is so good. Great story. Yeah. So we have this great scene of Skeevers getting released, uh, Batman scaring the fuck out of him, 
to turn on Flass. Um, and that's when kind of the whole house of cards starts coming down for GCPD. You know, we get this kind of lighthearted scene where Gordon and his wife go to uh, talk with Bruce and get a feel for his cover. And I mean, that scene's nothing much than a little uh, comic relief, I think, and kind of squashing his suspicion. But I mean, I don't know how much he cares at this point, honestly. And then they have that heart to heart in the driveway because he knows that, you know, Loeb is going to out him for his affair if he doesn't just tell her, you know. And Bruce is in the house and he sees the stopped car and he's like, what is he doing out there? Yeah, that's a great scene because they don't, you know, he says we have to talk or I have something to tell you. You know what that's going to be. And then they instantly cut away and you got Bruce looking out the window going, he's been there for 10 minutes. What the fuck? You know? Um, Yeah, I thought that was just really effective editing. And then right into, I mean, pressure's on with Gordon and they, they give him that bogus call when he's feeding the baby, it doesn't take long before he figures out some shit is up. And this finale is so fucking good, man. Yeah. I mean, just the, the, I like that. He's still, he's very adherent to the whole, like I'm only Batman between midnight and 4am. So oh I'm yeah. Yeah. The day to save someone, I'm just going to put on my, my motorcycle helmet and my jacket. Yeah. And that, I'm going to get shot as soon as I get there. That was, man, I, I love that Gordon shoots him. That's so cool. <laughs> like if, if you weren't, if he weren't, more prepared than Gordon could have killed Batman, like pretty Batman much at the beginning. Story. Yeah, that could have been it right there. Well, and also we've seen Gordon and the way he feels about restraint and and doing the right thing, and then we also see him now when what's at stake is his family, and he does yeah. not he does not hesitate. You know, there's two guys sure. holding his wife, and he doesn't. I'll pass her a gun. He doesn't take the safe move. He shoots both of them. You well, know, it's like if, if she gets in that car, I'm never going to see her again. She's exactly. Dead. You don't go to the second location. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we see him uh, uh, react much differently. But that line you mentioned where Alfred's like, oh, should I get your tights? And he's like, not in the daytime. It, uh, it's kind of like in the dark night. It's like, will you be wanting the bet, pod? And it's like, in the middle of the day? It's like, the Lamborghini then. Much more subtle, you know. <laughs> like same exact scene i love it yeah uh so yeah we got gordon chases these dudes runs them off the road and trying to get his baby from this goon they go over the fucking edge um i don't know how this fucking baby survived but bruce dives after it and they both go under the water presumably they don't show it well it was one of those like evan's completely unfounded complaint about batman moving faster than bullets Oh. But it was that same thing where, like, one of the shots shows Jim Jr. already, like, over the edge of the bridge. Yeah. And Bruce is pretty high up in the air. But he's and heavier. Like the next shot, he already has it. But I could, I one, because I just loved it so much. But also, I guess I could believe it, like, momentum. If he went to, like, a diver's pose or something to catch him <laughs> to him. I don't know how physics work. It's, it's more it. weight. Yeah, yeah, more weight. And he went more, like, aerodynamic. So the yeah. Way- that baby knows what to do. He, that baby <laughs> yeah. spread out. Yeah. More yeah. That's cool. But I imagine it was is uh, Bruce <laughs> catches the baby and then like he takes the weight of the fall into mud. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not it's not concrete. It's like it's uh, it has a little bit of give. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the thickest river that's ever been. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a lava flow, but it's dirt. Full of kitty litter. That ending though of that scene where <laughs> he's like, 
am practically blind without my glasses. You know, just like <laughs> that shit is so fucking good to me. Like, um, yeah, it's cool. I like even this, like the start of that, the whole visual impression that that Bruce as the biker is a part of the like the bad plot. Mm-hmm. And and so he get he gets shot because he's a bad guy, and then how the rest of it just kind of develops like panel by panel, and the whole uh, like Bruce just ascending the bridge with like in all silhouettes and stuff, and then diving after the baby while Gordon does his thing and stuff, and obviously the uh, the mud river <laughs> doesn't make a ton of sense. It would have been different if all four of them went over the side of the bridge and died. Like, like, uh, if they could have like hugged in midair and saved each other at the same time <laughs> high five on the way down yeah you all you hate high fives yeah but so. you like them this is your fantasy yeah no that would actually be the best this would be the best story I've ever read <laughs> that's basically a wrap on the story I got some easter eggs finger memorial at Robinson Park Obviously, we know Bill Finger and then Jerry Robinson being the co-creator of the Joker. Did you notice in the beginning when they're down? Yes. I was there. Yeah, I was. I, yeah. Okay, so we're I read it. we're down in the 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 pimps and hoes world, right? And yep. the guy says sweet chunks to one oh, of his girls, and I was like, oh, love chunks from All Star. <laughs> More Frank Miller. But how much of that is like a reference versus like that's just a word that Frank Miller says? No, I didn't think of it as being an intentional reference. I just uh, thought like, oh, here's a thing that we've already talked about in another one. Classic Frank Miller. Well, reference. yeah. Plus, if we review stuff out of order, like what's an Easter egg for what? Because yeah, I mean, I just mean in terms of like either direction that there was influence, you know. Man, that's um, I just like the Frank Miller thinks love chunks. Any kind of chunks. Chunks. Yeah. It's a compliment. It mostly bums me out when that's like my entire cons list and Sam talks about it. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, we talked about my fucking con already too. When Gordon fights Flass the second time, he's got the inner monologue like when Frank's Batman fights criminals. He's very... Deliberate. He's telling you exactly what he's doing, like with the mutant leader and stuff, which I thought was cool because it's showing how surgical they both are. All right. So another one, we didn't talk really about Catwoman too much, but as she becomes Catwoman, she has sort of a Joker 89 moment, you know, when he was like, what kind of world we live in where a man dressed up as a bat steals my press? You know, he hits the boxing glove into the TV. She has a similar one where it's like, Batman's assistant, and she like throws some shit at the TV, like, God damn it, why is he getting credit for my heist shit, you know? I thought that was very similar. We end with uh, a little teaser scene, just like the end of uh, Begins, with Gordon monologuing and the little hint of the Joker to come. Although this was sort of, these stories were released in backwards order, so it's not that much of a tease, but it was cool. Yeah, and I think it wasn't, um, it's just to like, kind of the same with Batman Begins, although that literally is a sequel tag, just to tie it into 
what we know of Batman, yeah. the regular character. Just world building. Yeah, not like he's like, because I'm, I'm really glad we didn't see the Joker. You didn't get a clip of any of that. It's just like. Yeah, we didn't need it. Yeah. Anything we the didn't talk. could have used more Superman, maybe. More <laughs> yeah. yeah. More bald eagles. Yeah. More Russia. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for my prose, I wrote, yes. Yeah. This is the, the Batman story. Yeah. I mean, because as fantastic as The Dark Knight Returns is, it definitely sits in its era in the 80s. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a criticism, because I love it. Mm -hmm. But this is just like a timeless Batman story. The, the only element of Batman that's not here is his mastery, and it's because he's at the beginning of his story. Yeah. But everything else about what makes Batman cool, of the tone of it, the kinds of challenges he's coming up against, how he's solving those challenges... It's just perfect. Yeah. I mean, combine that with the quality of the artwork and the colors and everything, it's just, it doesn't really get better than this. I agree. Yeah, I think so too. It's like, while it does tackle some life in like a hard city, it also kind of retains sort of like an early James Bond kind of innocence. And while I don't feel like it is a super detective story and anybody in it is a super detective... That's also how it feels with its balance of first-person perspective and narration. Yeah. And it's like it's well-balanced between the story moving forward and inner monologue. It does show you some things that are pretty realistic, but also not terribly horrific or anything. And that also seems kind of innocent. Yeah, this is my my shit because it's it's such a grounded story. There's nothing that's like super out of proportion, over the top, you know, that makes it extra exciting or anything. You know, they there's no birthday boy in this. There's nothing even similar to that. Yeah, yeah but yeah, they they sure. make you I mean, that's not a bad thing, but care about the characters as real people, and then that becomes the stakes. You know, there's no there's no end of the world. There's no crazy diabolical plan saving a baby so that the Gordon doesn't become demoralized yeah. yeah and it's like the way I was talking about how Batman is like the countermeasure from like the heights down to the midpoint or something yeah like this shows everything but mostly Batman's bottom to the midpoint it doesn't involve like a super villain or some you know, some, some crazy thing that he has to counter. It's like also his introduction to Gordon's world as well. And again, uh, he doesn't even save the day in costume. Bruce Wayne saves the day effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So no, there's, there's really no... Arts or anything like that. Yeah, there's no pretension. Mm -hmm. There's no showmanship here with, with this stuff. It's all just like, what if we just make this as real as fucking possible? Sure. Well, you, you could take everything after this is like the what I was talking about like the what if you had this guy and then you threw him up against nonsense yeah like the Joker is nonsense the Riddler is nonsense but it's awesome and it's exciting but this is like that guy against just a shitty city and a corrupt yeah, government yeah. and organized crime that's too powerful just that guy in that situation subtract all that stuff yeah yeah I also really liked the art style super classic and <laughs> one thing that I thought was funny having watched the cartoon and then this and this one being a Miller written book 
illustrated by somebody else yeah then the last episode being a miller written book illustrated by himself but the movie animated by somebody else yeah was like <laughs> he does this funny thing where <laughs> frank can't maybe illustrate people's faces like from a low angle and so he doesn't illustrate like the peak of their noses and so he gives them like a pig nose that only shows the nostrils <laughs> yeah and it's like a consistent element it's just like the thing that he's owned up to where he's like well i can't do this but, <laughs> but i will but i will continue to draw pictures and be successful but it was weird that in this it's not drawn by him but this dude does the same thing. That's funny. Yep. He also gives people big noses. And then going backwards, if you watch um, Dark Knight Returns, if you watch the cartoons, they give people no noses seemingly just because the source material wasn't there. <laughs> noses also. That's funny. It's, it's weird. Got all the shoulders you want. No yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All the shoulder pads, no nostrils. I mean, they have nostril holes, just no like peaks of noses. Again, no um, cartilage whatsoever. Yeah, just nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing in the front. I love the color redesign. I don't, I don't fully understand all that stuff, but I love it when the new stuff fits the old stuff. I would hate it to read something where, where the pencils or the inks were so classic and the colors were too fresh it's like too shiny too smooth yeah. whatever like this this hand-drawn painting method while i don't understand it just fits it perfectly it's got a um, timeless vibe you know man like, it's, yeah. it's it's so awesome I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't have known if this was like digital scans of old stuff or just new stuff to look old i don't know it's perfect it still kind of blows me away that this is before the Killing Joke. Yeah. yeah. This is before Death in the Family. Like, Killing Joke is a mature story in modern. And as much as I liked Death in the Family, as we talked about, it seems like uh, some of the writing is kind of like from 20, year, 20 years before it actually came out. Yeah. So that this exists before that is just very weird. Yeah. I mean, they're all, they're all very much back to back. But yeah, I mean, it's groundbreaking it's legendary for that reason you know it it it's one of those things that could have been hyped up to you as like oh but you got to read year one you know and then it actually delivers on the hype yeah for sure so all i got for cons is maybe the cursive that's about as far as i could get if i'm nitpicky you got to read your comic books on a big tv there you go i mean sometimes i do yeah that's the way to do it my only cons were that there wasn't enough Millerisms. Um, there was. That's there what was, I do like. There was, yeah, there was one sweet chunks. Yeah. And there was one queer. Oh yeah. And that was it. I was like, I I don't even know whose stuff I'm reading right now. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of the reason that I hate on the later stuff so much is because the early shit is so perfect. Yeah. This makes me, as I've said before, I love Ronan. Ronan's awesome. I want to read his uh, Daredevil runs because that's before this too. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like before, before he was able to do anything when he still had to be a little more cautious. Yeah, I think that's like this book benefits from that too because he's coming off of Daredevil, 
and so he's he's hot. Everyone loves it. Yeah, I think that's where he really got his legs, from what I've read. Yeah, but he's still like he's not he's not Frank Miller, the superstar. The, the yeah, the most important comics artist. Like he's he still has a little bit to fear. Yeah. I, I don't have any cons with this book. Even the, some of the the Catwoman Catwoman's not utilized well, and the fact that she's a prostitute is not like the best choice. I mean, um, I I don't mind any of that. I just think that it's sort of like using Harvey in the in the other story. I mean, she's sort of peripheral Gotham stuff at that point. You, you know, you could have just had her been a thief and had her like yeah go oh, but dressing up like a cat is like will enhance my thievery. Yeah. I mean, it makes you wonder what came first—the idea of her being a prostitute and that whole scene of the of the deuce being her stomping ground, or was the idea, oh well, where would Bruce go to like essentially pick a fight? You know, where where would he go first? You know, what kind of place would that be? Oh well, if it's this kind of place, okay. Well, what could we do to tie that to Gotham? We know, you know. I uh, wonder. I wonder how that was conceptualized, like. You know, what was the reason for the character choice? It's always kind of weird, too, in in these standalone things. It makes me wonder why even super introduce anybody if you weren't going to follow up on it anyways. Yeah. It's to, to make it part of the world. So it's not, uh, it's not so different from everything that came before and is going to come after. Yeah, That's uh, why you have Harvey Dent before being Two-Face. But he's not. It's not like Harvey Dent's like a a prostitute. <laughs> you know, I, no, no, it's not, it's just, no, it's it's not. Harvey Dent that. the it's gigolo. Like, no, and and I'm not saying like they call me two hands because I use both hands. <laughs> I'm a double. I'm a double dick beater. <laughs> That's impressive, uh, and I don't mean why change their story. I don't mean like why make. Catwoman, something different. I know I mean, what you mean. Why introduce them at all? Yeah. If we talk about how dope Earth One is, but if there is never any follow up to that Earth One, then why do all that awesome stuff to me? You're basically arguing for suicide. <laughs> <laughs> if there's nothing that comes after this, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't care what you say, Evan. I'm not going to kill myself. No matter how many times you say it, no matter how many times you push me towards it, I'm not going to do it. Wow. I don't care how strong your arguments are occasionally. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> no, um, I think I it's... I mean, I wouldn't propose anything like that. I would prefer to make self-contained stories that were awesome, that didn't rely on a unknown sense of mystery or anything like that. I would prefer to make open and shut storylines that existed in that world yeah. and only and only serves to make it better or nothing at all. But and I think what just, you're talking about is like why use certain characters if you're not going to really use them to their potential. But I mean, I don't think that's any different than putting in a little, oh, at the corner of Adams and O'Neill, you know, it's just like the little nods for the people who are paying attention. I mean, this familiarity goes a long way in getting people bought in, especially if you're taking big risks and doing shit that's really unusual, you know, planting little seeds of familiarity, I think are going to be important to get people to, to buy in and believe that this is 
the place that you know from these other sources. Yeah. I, I guess I only mean if it's going to end up being like a source of, because like critics love to be critics, you know? And if they're going to like pick that shit apart, I wouldn't even put it in there. You yeah. know, if, if, if people are going to be like, Oh, Selena Kyle wasn't a prostitute or bloody, bloody, blah or something like she's not critical. I don't know that how she's like super relevant to any part of the story. I mean, he might've, I could, I could imagine Frank Miller thinking like that is a cool and edgy way to insert the character in the story. Because ladies, ladies are made for sex. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, you could even look at it as a different way of like, like she's taking control of a resource that she has and she's, I mean, because they show her as like a dominatrix where she's yeah. dominating some guy. Like, yeah, she's independent for sure. Yeah, she, she's the one in control. She's the one in power. She's got kitty claws. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how it was received at the time. Maybe it was like, oh, that's, that's so cool and... uh hardcore that he would put her in the story like that but i mean i could in what you're saying i could i don't think she needs to be in the story not as the way she is they could have just not had that the only reason i like it is for just that it's like like you're saying sam tying this world into the world we already know yeah and but i mean you already get that with with harvey and with commissioner gordon i mean that's Carmine Falcone. it's twofold though because on one hand they're hiring this guy to do it because of the bold choices that were in Dark Knight Returns, right? And so they're they're knowing, well, he's going to take some chances. We're going to give him a little more freedom than usual. You know, and so part of this is just taking a shot in the dark and making some risky creative choices that you think are going to make this world more like today's 1980s New York crime that we know and understand and so like how do we do that and then the other side is the same way we talked about batman as a symbol being the sons of batman or whatever in the previous story you sort of get that with selena because she begins as a prostitute and then she says fuck this i've got a new line of work for us and they knock out the pimp and that's when she starts suiting up Albeit she's not crime fighting, she's stealing shit, she's still hustling, but she's seeing like, oh, you know what? I'm going to change my course too. And so it's not as direct and literal doing the same thing, but again, it is show that he is a symbol of change. Yeah, he inspired change. Yeah. So does Dark Knight Returns come before year one yeah just it barely out before it just yeah, barely God, before it. that's so weird like even the thought of writing the thought of writing a story that exists in the future and then in the future writing a story <laughs> that exists in the past of the future that you wrote already <laughs> like well think know, of it so- as terms of like a maybe a, a book or a film that you wrote and then thought well, instead of a sequel, what if I do a prequel, you know? Like, it is strange, especially being I mean, that far removed in time, like where the stories take place. I mean, that is pretty fucking bold because um, well, you're fast-forwarding to the end and then rewinding all the way to the beginning and there's no middle connective tissue. And you had the benefit of doing both because yeah. a lot of times you'll have, like, one director who did the future yeah, and then another director who did the past and they try to fill that shit in. Yeah. We're talking about like Dark Knight Returns and like Selena runs an escort service. 
and then we talked about year one and Catwoman is a prostitute. Yeah. You know? Like, he almost had to do it. <laughs> so yeah, she had no like, character change. She just became yeah, blocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I better fill this shit in right now. So, like, even if there wasn't a reason for her to be that character or to be included, he's like, I better tie it into my own past future story. <laughs> I already made her in the future. Yeah, so I better make that trip, shit. So. I better make it make I, sense. Yeah, I guess that that sort of implies that she started there, went off to be Catwoman, and then at some point regressed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It wasn't very lucrative, so you better, you better, sell, yeah. that, you better sell that pussy. <laughs> uh, trifecta. Detective work. We've seen him do some undercover. Disguises. Yeah. I don't really know how much more they, they super dig into it. Um, it kind of feels like a detective story in general. Vibe-wise, yeah. I, I think, yeah, again, vibe. it's sort of... It doesn't show the recipe. It just shows... The shit coming out of the oven, you know? Yeah. yeah. Plus, in the, in the narration, it's like very inside. It's very, it's very me thinking in my head. Yeah. Time. Ninja, I think we have a very stealthy, ominous Batman. Maybe not yeah, as... New. Yeah, with, classic, yeah. normal style. Yeah, maybe not as um, well-versed in fighting as Gordon is, or as other Batman stories, but uh, yeah. that's obviously the point. Yeah. yeah, Gordon is a badass. Man. I think he could beat Gordon. It's just he's not. I he's don't. Not Batman yet. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's, it's no, like, I mean, he's still like a jujitsu master. He kicks trees down. He's he could take Gordon in a fight. He's just not as good as Batman becomes. Yeah, it makes them seem comparable. I think that Batman could still beat him, but it makes it look like Gordon might be closer to his peer in this. Yeah. Definitely. He's not an eighty-year-old man. Yeah, <laughs> Batman, we need you no, to come down to the no, he, He's not—he's not feeble. He's—he's he's rugged. He's like street smart. Yeah, this is not the gray-haired commissioner. <laughs> no. Obviously, the Riddler stole a giant penny. <laughs> trauma is obviously a huge motivator in this story. I mean, this is kind of the the one you would point to in terms of all being tied to his parents' death. It's mostly done through flashbacks and stuff, so I mean, it's just bits and pieces, but it's definitely a major motivator. Yeah, it's, I almost feel like it's not as, he's not as traumatized as he is in The Dark Knight Returns. Even though it's more of an element in this story, he doesn't seem all that fucked up. Uh, he seems very much determined. He's gone away and put in time, you know, learning his, his craft or whatever, and... You know, aside from when he's bleeding out and kind of hallucinating a little bit, I feel like, yeah, he is very much just a resolute, determined person, more than a damaged one. Also, the whole thing to me in story and in art style feels very like classic and Tintin-ish kind of like even the grotesque stuff doesn't really seem all that crazy. If it feels like an old movie or like an old story or kind of um, tasteful restraint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like they made black and white movies about World War Two in the past, you know. But they they just wouldn't show you the stuff or whatever. Guts and then, spilling out of abdomens or legs yeah, blown off. Exactly. So that's that's kind of how this whole thing feels to me. Like I know what i know what story they're telling and i know what they're starting and stuff but it feels like the purest 
inception of that thing to me. I like how Ben said tasteful restraint, and I thought, yeah, that's what I would uh, associate with Frank Miller when I <laughs> when he comes to mind. Well, I mean, this honestly doesn't. Why don't you go back to the Isle of Lesbos with the other Amazon? <laughs> like, <laughs> man, having only read a little Sin City and only watched The Dark Knight Returns and stuff, like my actual, because this isn't even Frank Miller, Frank Miller, you know? This isn't like him double dose. Yeah. It doesn't. Everybody should go read the uh, Ronin, not the Watchmen. Man, it got, and also, I, I don't get like, artists regressing as artists like yeah you need to either progress until you're dead or stop before you stop being awesome i don't really get like how this dude could be the same dude that created <laughs> other stuff like god why is like why is this other stuff so shitty and why did i read that other stuff first and i mean then i think read this there's, stuff? there's two ways to look at that because it could be like he just didn't give a shit as time was on, he start, He wasn't trying as hard. Yeah. That's fucking dumb, though. I don't. But, but it might not be that, because it could also just be, like, as someone who creates something, both of you, you know that, like, just because you made it later doesn't mean it's better. Like, there has to be some kind of inspiration or spark there. And as a, especially for someone like him, as a skilled professional creator, someone who has, like, the means to do things on a schedule and put things out commercially to be consumed, and he's good at it. You think there's some skill there, but there still has to be a spark of something to get it going, and maybe that's not there in the later stuff. Not I, there as much. I mean, I, I don't know. I've I've never been like the kind of person who relied on creative stuff to be my living or something. But if I was going to put out bad stuff, I just wouldn't want to do it anymore. Like I only yeah. want to put out stuff if it's going to be good stuff. But maybe it's not bad to him. Like maybe taking the things that made this older stuff work taking risks is what he did and then like the dark knight strikes again is just insane because to him yeah that was the next step he wanted to take or that's what he wanted to try or he wanted to do something else <laughs> all right but i but i would never want to be so disillusioned that bad stuff was good stuff to me art is subjective sir. yeah but not, no <laughs> come on like not to yourself i mean that's what that's what makes people justify like stupid stuff i mean i i get what ev is saying you you can tell when you're forcing it and when it's really working if you're getting old and your brain doesn't work the same and you're getting <laughs> shitty just stop doing it. <laughs> this mean, has like, been a public just, service announcement you know, like well it's, it's different like uh, the more you know no it's <laughs> no this is real this is real stuff like if i get old and i have dementia and i can't remember stuff when you get old. And now we're yeah, back to suicide. Yeah, when I get old and I develop dementia, then, and I'm not meant to remember stuff, then drawing pictures doesn't require memory. I'll just create images and I'll just draw pictures or something. And if you get to that point in your career where, like, that was your shit, but then you just suck at it, just <laughs> fucking stop. Just, like, especially if you were successful, just, like, just ride on your own shit and just stop it. And go sit by a lake and don't don't do that. <laughs> Just don't do that anymore. Well, someday when you're losing your marbles and you put out a whack album, I'm gonna buy you a box of crayons and say it's time. 
Well, I well honestly, I hope to draw the entire time, and that was actually what I should have been doing the whole time. Like <laughs> writing was my second thing, anyways. I should have always been drawing with crayons. Yeah, but like so, looking at Dark Knight Returns, which I love, and I love the art in it. Then this comes next, which is better in my mind. But they're both great. Yeah, Dark Knight Strikes Again, which is not great. It's weird, and a lot of people think that, but I don't think it's terrible. All Star Batman and Robin which I don't think is good from a writing standpoint. And I know Sin City's in there somewhere, and I've read Sin City, but I don't quite place it. I don't know where it stands in the history of his writing. Is it after this stuff? Yeah, it must be, because, I mean, he was... We talked about how he was still kind of climbing the ladder, doing uh, Daredevil and stuff, and then... I think so this, Sin City's like the 90s or something like that. I'm pretty sure, because... Uh, the, I think it's Dark, 300. Yeah, 300, 300's great. And the newest Dark Knight stuff, I haven't read The Golden Child, but I read The Master Race, and I like that. Really? I, mean, I don't think it's just like he's like getting dementia and deteriorating. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think you can try and have misses. And you can also intentionally not try. I'm not going to push you into the, like, Evan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you those crayons and those pens, and I want you to keep trying. <laughs> uh, all, but also, I, I would always want to, like, surround myself with a group of people that were critical and mm-hmm. elevated my craft all the time. Not yeah, yeah, fame will fuck that up in a hurry, though. But but not if I hung out with you guys all the time. <laughs> well, no, I like would, if you got famous and I was hanging out with you, I would try and piggyback off your shoulders. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would get, I would, you would get a Lambo for the yeah. show. Uh, no, I just mean like. That's how it always is. People are like, oh, yeah, it's the dopest. I mean, like, how fucking stupid is that stuff? Like, selling a whack book because you are who you are or something? Like, no, yeah. this is bad. This is bad writing, you know? Like, just... I don't know. We work jobs that we, you know, we have varying levels of interest in and we do it for money. That's true. I mean, at, at some point, like, there might be moments where guys are just like, all right, I got to crank this out so I can make that car payment. That's so. Ugh. That's the life we live. What do you mean? I mean, I know, but that's... yeah, yeah, but, God, but what I think what what trips me out the most is like I want to think that the worst version of a really good person is still pretty fucking awesome, but the worst version of Frank Miller is actually fucking terrible. <laughs> of his art. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Like, like, like so. His, this has I, been. I, our review of Frank Miller, the person. <laughs> thanks, thanks for tuning in. He's always wearing those hats. Those hats he's always wearing. <laughs> this is this should be the episode where we have no issues and we're just praising the shit out of him, and yet we still wind up dissing him at the end. Fuck. Yeah, I'm about to drop a Frank Miller is a comics treasure. He's responsible for some of the greatest comics ever. Yeah, here's a super shit bomb that I made for you personally. <laughs> <laughs> Rating? Five. 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 Like Domino's so, shit. So, so five, five, five. Like a fake phone number in a movie. Five, yep. five, five. Still dope. <laughs> I, I liked, uh, I read it the other day and then I went, um, <laughs> this isn't, obviously, nothing is like the uh, Batman Forever, Teen Titans Go. Yeah, nothing is nothing is like that. But I liked the um, 
the pacing and the, the actual dating, you know, like yeah. January. Blah. So I read it and it was, it runs January 4th through December 3rd. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was cool. Like he's sticking to a time frame and stuff. And I appreciated, I appreciated that in addition to the visual pacing and the story pacing itself, you know, it's like mini skips yep. all over the place. You know, something has happened. Yeah, they covered a lot of ground with this story. Like a a Wes Anderson movie or something, where like uh, it kind of hops around, and I really like that part of it. This is Robin. Thanks for checking out the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. All right, that is our show. Got some fucking opinions on this one, man. It was all all good stuff. I think we fucked up a little bit by reading some shit out of order. Then it's like some cognitive dissonance of like man how do we love this one so much and not other than that it's a whole thing anyway we're gonna keep this theme going but before i get into that as always we appreciate you guys you can help spread the word just take a little screenshot right now just real quick put that in your stories let people know that you're listening having a good time with us and we will keep delivering content for you now coming off of year one we're gonna talk about the film that kicked off the Dark Knight Trilogy, based on this book, all right? We're going to talk about Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. Stay tuned.